Hi, this is the Reverend Andrew Christensen. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much. We are a Christ-centered, reformationally-minded podcast that explores the history and theology of the Christian Church. This podcast originally started as a forum for discussing the developmental history of Christian thought, what is often called historical theology. And it has since grown into an ecumenical team of hosts, myself, Stephen Burnett, Pastor Charlie Beeman, and the Reverend James Rickenbaker. We're all interested in the past, present, and future of the church. We share a commitment to the central place that grace has in the message of the good news, a message we feel often gets lost in our day and age, sometimes in religion itself. A message that is of God's goodwill toward us is echoed in the following words from St. Paul. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief one. I pray that the discussions in our episodes, whether casual or scholarly, can speak to how the story and witness of Christians from our past can comfort and strengthen us for today. God bless. Good morning, afternoon, evening, Doth Protest Too Much episode. I don't know what number episode this is. I kept, uh, I stopped keeping track of numbers. 307. 307. We don't really do that uh, here. So we just title them. We don't number them. So today, Stephen Burnett's back. How's it going, man? It's going good. It's going Uh, really good. Y'all know Stephen. He's been with us. He's he's our frequent guest and will continue Mm -hmm. to be a frequent guest uh, on this show. We're delighted to have him. Unless I mess it up today, obviously. Yeah, this will be uh, your... This will be the ultimate test. See if you get this one right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about Billy Graham today, uh, famous evangelist of the 20th century. And we, uh, before, we always have a little pre-fun show uh, type thing. And um, uh, what was our question? Three favorite was, countries. Three favorite countries. Okay. Places you've been, places you want to go. Oh, not yet. Not, yeah, sorry. Three countries you'd like to go like to. Like to go to. Okay. But have not been to. That's okay, because I have only been to like... I don't even know if this counts. I've been to parts of Mexico, but I didn't need a passport because I went on a cruise. So I don't even think that actually qualifies. Like, I mean, it counts. I, I would think it counts. If, not, I mean, if, to, to the U.S. government, it doesn't count. Like, they have no idea I was there. So You can include <laughs> Mexico on your list of there, if you'd like. No, nah, yeah. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not, I've been to a few different countries. I'm not uh, well-traveled, I guess. Um I don't make that like a thing. Like I, I, who was the comedian Tom Segura? He said, "You don't even need to travel these days if you just like close your eyes and picture what a place is like." That's exactly what the place is like. <laughs> I don't think that's completely true, but there's that's some right. truth to that. I mean, I don't, you know, um, I don't think it's like a criteria of how much of a person, human you are if you right. if you've been to lots of places. But I oh, do, God. I do have a travel bug in me, and so I have three. I came up with three. And, you want to go first? You yeah, want I'm, I'm married to a travel bug, so okay. I will be doing things. But 
So I'm cheating a little bit because I realized that like a lot of the places I want to go are all in Europe. So, but I didn't want to be like that boring. That Eurocentric. So, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to make, I'm going to make the continent of Europe one of them. Cause I want to go to like Scotland. I want to go to uh, England. I want to go to Germany. Those kind so of the places. whole continent? The whole thing. That yeah. It's, I, I, that's why I said I'm cheating. But so what's uh, two countries in Europe? We'll let it count. What okay. Are, what okay. are the two countries in Europe? I want to like to go to the most because I'm just. This makes it sound like so. I, I want to go to England and Ireland. Those are the two ones that I'd okay. love to go to. Good. France is a close third. Um, so that that's one. But there's only one. I only, only use right, one. No, right yeah, there. Okay, it only counts as okay, one. Whole continent. Um, and this one is also. It's not cheating. It sounds like it is, but Australia, which is a country and a continent. Main reason I want to go to Australia. A they have a fantastic coffee scene. Those people are super into coffee, and some of the best stuff in the world is done there. Also, I have an irrational fear of Australia, and I would like to conquer it. Um, uh, is it due to the critters? No, that's critters. rational. The irrational part is it's oh. on the bottom, so it should fall off, and uh, it's really far away. Yeah, like it's too far from everything else. And to me, and this is it's irrational, right? Let's preface that. But to me, if I can get stranded there and not be able to get anywhere back to civilization, so Australia. And uh, the third, I would probably have to say, like, is Honduras. And uh, I think it's just a cool place. I've seen some cool pictures of it. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of your uh, those are my three Caribbean choice. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I'm I'm not terribly good with geography, but I generally know where things are. And I know that I I'm, I'm smart enough to know that you're not going to fall off the earth if you go to Australia. Right. I, is see, there a bottom, I'm also is smart enough to know. I that I said. I want to go. Yeah, I thought I was going. It's irrational. I'm aware. But. Isn't the isn't the bottom of the earth, the top of the earth? It's all exactly. constructs, anyways. It's right? very true. If you're in space, it doesn't matter. It's all whichever orientation all whichever you happen orientation. to be facing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, that's a good list. So you got all of Europe, Australia, yep. under Earth. Yep. Um. So my three are number one is Germany. It's just a very mm-hmm. obvious choice for me. Um. My wife and I were supposed to go for our honeymoon. It didn't happen because we got married in 2020, but that's all right. Yep. Well, we went to Hot Springs, Arkansas instead. But the, the Germany of town. the South. The Germany of the South. <laughs> no, that's Fredericksburg. Is that the South? That's Texas. Um, and so uh, we plan to go next year. Um, it's history, culturally, familial ties. Mm-hmm. I have a lot. I have, I think, through three different great grandparents are not German born, but their parents are all immigrants from Germany. And so, uh, but I became, uh, in seminary, I became a, um, uh, Luther file. Um, and so, uh, naturally I got, uh, and then as I went to graduate studies, I studied, uh, more German theologians. So that's the tie there, but also family. And honestly, it's just a beautiful, Country. I mean, everyone's really into like Paris, France is this romantic thing. Yeah. But like, I think because those countries, France and like Spain, those countries are more west or closer to us. Like, Germany yeah. always gets overlooked. But like, I follow all these like German, German pictures things yeah. on Instagram yeah. and Facebook and just the natural beauty of it. I mean, I castles that. and stuff are great, all this medieval scenery, but even just the natural beauty. Yeah. Whether it's the southeast with the forests. South, I'm getting my southwest with the forests, or if the southeast with the uh, mountains, or in the northern part. I mean, it's all just beautiful. So Germany's one. Number two would be Cuba, which is odd. <laughs> it's going to be kind of almost as odd as the next one. So Cuba, um, 
I was on Google Earth. I spent uh, an obscene amount of time <laughs> on Google Earth the other day, and I'm just like, I wonder if you can even look at Cuba. Yeah. Apparently, you can. And, um, there is just some really pretty looking resorts there, and I, I'm kind of like dictator communist history of the 20th century kind of does fascinate me because it's so it's so dramatic and it's so somewhat mysterious because information has been suppressed and, right, and to be clear i would not go to cuba just to go um uh it, you know it it's you know i obviously i care about my own personal safety uh Fair. the episcopal church i guess uh in Cuba, there's a there was a strong historically Episcopal church there, and with the kind of the loosening of some sanctions that the Episcopal church there is, they're they're part of or they're in communion with the Episcopal church here. I mean, the Episcopal church is part of the Anglican communion, right? But um, and like the Episcopal church is its own um, province, if you will, of the. But I think the Cuban Episcopal church in the America, if I'm not mistaken, it's kind of part of the whole North American thing. So hmm. there might be some religious missional opportunities there. I don't there know. There you go. Uh, but I'd be interested in going sometime. If I looked it up, there's like 12, there's 12 reasons that you can go to Cuba. And um, like, if you go to Cuba, it has to fall into one of those 12 categories. One of them is religious. It doesn't have any explanation of what that means. It's just, I'm, I'm sure you could broaden that to mean anything. Oh, I'm going to go with a prayer group right. to pray in right. Cuba. <laughs> you know, hang out I on the beach. I will pray over my meals in Cuba. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> But again, I don't know how elegant that it really is. You know, obviously it's had uh, kind of a rough history as well as a lot of countries that lived under uh, dictators and everything. And so, you know, I'm not in a rush to get there, but I'm just the curiosity. Plus, wasn't there an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer trades his his magical coat for like a box of Cuban cigars or something like something that? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, at the consulate. And this so was the like, 90s when you could not get Cuban get cigars. Yeah. Now you can, apparently. Yeah, so, I've heard um, this. I don't know. I would not I would never buy one that was labeled that way because I wouldn't trust it really was. Yeah. I would be so easily... If, if it's, yeah, I can't tell. If they're really advertising it, it Absolutely. might not be real. Um, then number three is China. Uh, which again... Uh, now, communists. People, <laughs> now, I know people who've gone to China. I mean, it's, it's one of those... It's a little more of a part of the, the free world you could say than Cuba is. It's not like isolationist like that, but obviously there's, you know, there's, there's problems with the, the regimes of the recent past, you yeah. know, suppression of rights, suppression of information. Um, you know, I do think that there's, uh, you know, Christians, well, not just Christians, but any religious, a lot of religious groups, if they're not kind of China centric, uh, they're kind of seen as foreign mm-hmm. undermining threats. And so, Obviously, there's security, and, and again, just like Cuba, I wouldn't just go at any time. Just go. I would make you know maybe uh, theoretically at some point if there's a safe opportunity, just to go to China and see the yeah. beautiful history, the, the natural um, like Germany. I think there's natural oh beauty gosh, to the country, absolutely. and there's also historical. Like I'd love to go to the you know the imperial compound, which later became the communist party compound just right. to see like i've read some books about the very dramatic history that centered around that over the years and i would just you know for me i don't want to just get, i like natural beauty but i'm not just going to travel anywhere oh because i'll feel like right. spiritual enlightenment right by looking right, at this right. mountain i want to like, know <laughs> how things are tied to the story of people the story yeah. of story of humanity you know so those are my three uh Germany. That's great. Well, my my wife is like bugging me. We got to go to China at some point, and I mm-hmm. I just told her I was like, I don't want to like if has she been there? 
She's not. Okay. No, she <clears throat> we went to like uh, uh, Ghana, Africa by herself, and mm-hmm. uh, she's gone. She's traveled a lot. But I'm just like any place where they can just lock me up. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't. I, I'm. Let's wait till after. And the, right now <laughs> is not a time I would want to go right to China. And I pray for the people there, especially like fellow Christians there. Oh um, gosh, I'm just, yes. I see a couple news articles a year for the past. It doesn't get a lot of coverage, unfortunately, but I think uh, it's definitely there if you look for it. Well, and there um, you have like you have like state-approved churches versus, versus you know underground and and, yeah. and the temptations like well. Like, well, people rationalize that. Well, like, they'd be fine if they just, you know, followed the guidelines of the state. It's like, yeah, but those guidelines are put on by a communist party. That, that, like, and, and they're also like, party. they want the churches to, to you know, uh, proclaim parts of the platform. And that's problematic. Right. You can't mix state right. and church in any setting. Not right. in America with Christian American nationalism. You can't yeah. do that in communism. Well, because you, <laughs> you wind up spoiling the church part of it. Right, right. right. And like, it's just, you know, yeah. from a theological, ecclesiological standpoint, there's just so many obvious problems with that, which yeah. we could do a whole episode on. Dude, series on that. On like... <laughs> the two, in the two kingdoms, right? That's actually what yep. I'm probably writing my eventual graduate doctoral thesis on. That's awesome. Uh, maybe, if that ever comes. <laughs> my life ever allows eventually. me. My life, not my wife. Yeah. Though that too. My life <laughs> circumstances allow me to continue in my... Progress and study at ILT. So, um, yeah, we spent uh, about 10 minutes on that. And that's great because I like to do these. But uh, we're, we're, we're good with time. Let's get into Billy Graham. So Let's do it. Be- before we get into Billy Graham, I'm going to play this video. This is a – so this um, – I'll tell you more about when I first saw this. This is an interview, Larry King interviewing uh, Billy Graham. I'm going to play a sound clip from it. On New Year's Eve of the Millennium, so December 31st, 1999, and I'm just going to go ahead and play it. And uh, the, some background context, I'm skipping ahead a few seconds. Billy Graham has been named like number six or seven of the top like 50 people of the 20th century. I don't know if it was Time Magazine or what magazine, but this is just... Uh, and he's he's being interviewed by Larry King. Larry King, yeah. Female. And in a poll conducted and finished tonight, which they announced just about an hour ago, Billy Graham finished number seven among all-time admired people of the 20th century. Mother Teresa finished first. Congratulations, uh, Billy. I got, you're kind of used to this by now, right? No, I never get used to it, and I'm not sure I accept uh, the results of the poll, <laughs> because I don't think I am that uh, high in the poll. What did you, what did, did you, do you know the Dalai Lama and what did you think of what he had to say? Uh, first of all, I was staying in the same hotel with him a few years ago and he had one of his aides ask me if I would have dinner with him that night and I agreed immediately and I was honored to be invited. But it was the same day that they announced from Scandinavia that he had just received the Nobel Peace Prize, and he left immediately. I never had the dinner. <laughs> what, what do you think of what he had to say about war and peace and, and optimism? I think, he had, I, think he had, I think he had some good things to say. And uh, I didn't uh, agree with everything, but I agreed with most of what he had to say, except this. I think there is going to be, according to the prophecies of the Bible, 
wars and rumors of wars till the end of time. And I don't think there's anything that can change that except the human heart. Because I think the change it has to come from within us. And it's not uh, the guns and it's not the atomic bombs that do the harm. It's the people that, that build them and it's people that, that uh, pull the triggers and push the buttons. And, and you and, do not see that change? Yes, I see that change taking place. I see it taking place everywhere I go. But it's on a small scale compared to the world's population. And another problem that we face, of course, is the expanding world population. Uh, whether we're going to be able to support this kind of uh, population explosion, I'm not sure. What, Billy, does this, well, we call you Billy, Reverend Graham, but we know each other so no, it's a long please. time, it's hard not to call you, but Billy's at his home in, in Asheville, North Carolina. What does this millennium, this year 2000, specifically mean for you? It means that we have a chance to start some things over again, uh, that we have to start new again, and some, you know, we have New Year's resolutions that we normally make and then break a few days later <laughs> and I would like to see us make a millennium resolution that we're going to do all in our power to help bring peace to the world and uh, that it's not going to be these catastrophic events that we have had in the past where people are killing each other and raping each other we can't help uh, a storm like a hurricane or uh, tornado. That's in, in another area entirely. But we can help what's happening in the human heart. And the Bible says that there's a battle going on in all of our hearts and that expands to the from state to state and person to person and group to group. What do you make of what you see of the, the celebrations tonight all over the world? The joy on the faces of all these people as we have swept across uh, continents tonight on CNN. I've been watching ever since about four o'clock this morning and it's been absolutely fantastic what you all have done in putting this thing together and uh, you're right there's joy, happiness, anticipation and it, it indicates that people want that. They're yearning for it but from my perspective they can only find it in a personal relationship with God. By the way, in your belief, is there an apocalypse coming? Is there going to be an end? Yes, I think that there's going to be a battle of Armageddon. It'll be the greatest war of history. But I don't know when. It could be a thousand years from now. It could be a million years from now. Jesus warned us not to speculate about a date. Because he said he didn't even know. Only his father knew. And uh, so we can't speculate about that. But we do read some signs that he left us to say that when you see them all converging at the same time, you know that the time is getting nearer all the time. Our guest is the Reverend Billy Graham, earlier the Dalai Lama. This is Larry King Live, part of CNN's... So, wow. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, first of all, uh, I love his accent. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. 100%. No, I mean, so I listened to, uh, in preparation for this one and, and the next one that we're going to do also on Billy Graham, uh, his autobiography uh, titled Just As I Am. 
And uh, I listen to the audio book because I'm in the car a lot, and mm-hmm. it's just easier for me. Uh, but it was uh, it was great. He the thing that struck me about this video, honestly, he was talking about uh, the violence that people have done and, and the catastrophe, and it reminded me of a, a story he told in the autobiography um, about being in Ireland and being, I believe, right around the corner from an IRA bomb going off mm-hmm. and being on, on the scene for that, uh, running over. Basically, people were asking him, uh, they knew he was a man of God. They were asking him to read last rites and do all sorts of things like that to, for these people that are dying and pray for the sick and all that. Mm-hmm. And how he responded and the things that, that he has seen in terms of, uh, in terms of catastrophic violence. Because that's what the, the scene was about. The scene was about what do you think about prospect of world peace? Right. And for someone who's seen so much violence and catastrophe, uh, just by being in the right place at the right time, I guess, um, you know, it's interesting to hear his his perspective on that. But I love the fact that, uh, and I think it's represented well here, that he is, he was 100% like unflappable in his belief and in his theology. This is what's going to happen. And he's just the kind of guy who didn't have anything. he wasn't trying to, to make up something new and brilliant to right. impress people. He was like, he was telling us exactly what I thought he would tell us right there about right. there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a battle of Armageddon. Uh-huh. He just lays out the theology and he spoke it at, right. at a high level. So, And I like uh, what I like about the interviews that, uh, you know, Paul talks about in scripture that we, we don't look for a hope that is seen. We look for a hope that is not seen. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. And it was probably so easy um with, you know, big celebration, the new millennium coming in. Um, I vaguely remember that. I remember watching, I saw this on TV and I'll get to that story in a second back when it was live. And, um, Billy Graham kind of embodies that unseen hope, right? That was not like a totally, that was not like a pessimistic interview at all, but it also wasn't drunk on optimism. It wasn't like a, uh, most ideal hopeful situations right around the corner. Right. Um, you know, he spoke of the reality of war, conflict, you know, the, the, the fallenness of, of who we are as people. Yeah, personal personal be, evil, too. Like, personal evil, yeah. right. That about the human yeah. heart. And, um, but he speaks of uh, there is an eventual hope um, that doesn't um, let us evade present temporal situations right. of bad things. Um, but there is, so it's like, it, it's, it was like a responsible hope and it was like biblical too. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of hope that is unseen. So that's what I just kind of like that insight came to me just now. But like my, when I watched it earlier, I remember, I remember when I first saw this, it was 19, yeah, it was 1999. I saw this live on New Year's Eve. I was at my grandma's, my maternal grandma's. And that's, this was the first time I'd really encountered Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. This grandma who I'm actually Speaking of, she had a book or two of Billy Graham, I believe, I saw on her bookshelf, um, kind of, and I remember that earlier in my childhood, that her, his book, The Holy Spirit, was on, mm-hmm. uh, her, which I own to this day, and it's a good book. I've, I've used it actually in preaching when we talked on matters of the Holy Spirit. Um, but, but anyways, I'm at her house, and it's, and it's like the night before, we're like an hour or two away from the new millennium. We're also an hour or two away of when we think that maybe the, 
all the power and electricity of the world yeah. might just turn off and we might have an Armageddon. Do you remember? Oh, yes. That, the Y2K scare? Yes, it was terrifying. I mean, it was, and some churches bought like wholesale into this. Uh, uh, the Lutheran church I uh, was raised in did not. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, naturally, they wouldn't. But I mean, this was something um, that was on people's minds. We just didn't know at that time. Yeah. We didn't know the turns technology would take. Well, it seems so laughable now. From what I understand, too, there was like there was a risk of computers not being able to do that. Right. But computer people worked over time for several years to prepare them. So, right. you know, right. so there was that, and it all clicked over just So fine. there was a truth to it. Though. Yeah. I mean, had they That's not addressed and looked into it, Right. Yeah, and I believe they did have like there was some there was a couple of grids that just shut off in like, yeah. Western Europe or North America. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, and it was because of. Can that. you imagine but, being in those places and right. thinking that it's happened worldwide? Right. You know. You're right. Yeah. I mean that's and that then I mean they probably thought it was because they couldn't pull out their smartphone right. and check if this was everywhere or not. Yep. Um, gosh, but so yeah. But anyways, he. But anyways, as a young, I was. I was 12 years old at the time, and I was at my grandma. And I was kind of scared. I think my parents were at, like, a New Year's Eve yeah. party. And I was with my grandma. I love my grandma. I was like, well, if anything happens, I'm with my grandma. But yeah. I was scared. Yeah. So I had some nervousness that night. Um, now I look back, and I'm like, it's completely unwarranted. Right, right. I wasn't, I wasn't like, I, I had, I, I thought, I mean, even then, I reasonably thought this probably, that's the dog drink, lapping water yep. in the corn. For our listeners, you can hear the dog in the corn. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> and, uh, anyways, I even then I wasn't, you know, I I knew that there was a good chance people could pull through. But he never knew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, but seeing Billy Graham speak these words brought me so much comfort. Wow. And ever since, because it was realistic, it was hopeful. I couldn't yeah. have not. I could not have articulated this then. Yeah. But as a kid, seeing him on TV, on national TV, and this guy must be important. Right? Yeah. He's on this big news channel. Yeah. And he's famous. My grandma has these books by him. And I've heard the name Billy Graham of like the number one Christian or something. You yeah. know? Um, he's, he's the best. Yeah. Because he's the best, right? <laughs> and that just brought me like a, a, a comfort Really, our true comfort, yeah, you know that unseen hope that no matter what we that, see, that's what that's what Christianity. I feel like like that's what it, it is and what it does best is that it's able to do two things at once and hold human evil right fully as part of like the primary basis of the doctrine that we have right is right. that human beings are fallen and then also have a ton of hope right and like have hope that God's going to make things right that, at the same ten, time. It's that tension. It's that paradigm. Yeah, and so many things. What's kind of kept me as a Christian, even as like growing up and trying out new things and, and coming across new ideas and, you know, all these things, what's really kept me soundly as a Christian in my theology, um, is, is so much of that. It, it, it doesn't account for, it's not a good word, but there's so much tension and paradox mm -hmm. that speak to the reality of the world mm -hmm. that I just don't, not to denigrate other um, spiritual spiritualities, but I just find that so much part of the Christian tradition. Right. I think Billy Graham uh, uh, speaks to it well in there. So absolutely. Um, but anyways, yeah, Billy Graham. So we're kind of going to get into the life of uh, Billy Graham today. So this is our, you know, this is a historical theology podcast, and historical theology is kind of the development of theology over time. Uh, a lot of times it involves, um, you know, the big theological thinkers, mm -hmm. which usually are, you know, come out of the academy uh, or they come out of like 
councils and church leaders if you go back to the early days of the church. But I think, you know, it, the phenomena we've seen in North America the past 150, 200 years is that a lot of great Christian thinkers have kind of come out of what we would call frontier religion. Mm -hmm. And Billy Graham is kind of uh, one of the many results of frontier religion, a popular speaker, a popular yeah. preacher, uh, an author, um, had some education, but he wasn't, uh, he was not one of these ivory tower theologians, not, no. to, not to say. He was, uh, <laughs> he was a farm boy. I mean, he was a farm boy. Yeah. Right. And he, and so his personal story can relate to that middle America and just the reality of so many people globally that have yeah. lived and you know, well, that have had to get up and have uh, real lives. Real lives. <laughs> right. So, well, but okay, but think about it. Like, there are, there, when it comes to theology, there's depth and there's <clears throat> width, right? Like, right. you, and you have people, and there's a trickle down effect usually uh, from, you know, from the uh, academia and from some high level stuff that it doesn't hit popular understanding for a long time. Right. After it's being discussed in the academy, right? Like oh, it yeah. takes a while yeah. for it to be uh, transmitted and and made to you know brought to a popular level. Mm -hmm. And so what you see when it comes out the other end, so to speak, is right. guys like Billy Graham that go out and pre. I mean, he didn't make this theology up. It was it was handed to him through scripture right. reading, but also through interpretation of of people at high levels. And he was able to take that what he knew of the of the, the gospel. And what strikes me about Billy Graham is how simple. It Right. Like he he did not bog himself down or bog down the message with a lot of uh, trying to answer every possible objection right. or trying to uh, to to show himself to be a highly intelligent person. Right. He was bringing very simple, straightforward, easy to understand uh, the message of the gospel right. to to people that could speak yet to people's deepest wonderings mm -hmm. and deepest anxieties and deepest concerns. Yeah. Um, it was simplicity, but it wasn't simplistic. Yeah. You know, and I think he he was a good communicator in that sense. Um, and I think, you know, the trouble is with um, we whenever I mean, we did Stevens joining us. Uh, our first episodes together we did on Amy McPherson, mm -hmm. who had uh, controversial aspects and scandals. Billy Graham actually, you could argue, had some, too. Yeah. Not nearly as to that same type of <laughs> but no and um, not and nothing about his personal morality personal yeah you know uh um, yeah and so but whenever we get into talking about big preacher big religious leader personalities there's always that danger you see it today of um kind of idolizing the person or putting the person on a pedestal lifting the person up to be uh saintly but i think billy graham had um, he knew all that about himself and you even saw in that interview where he was like, um, well, I don't belong on that list of it. And maybe yeah. he was being, maybe he deep down, he kind of like, you know what? God has brought me places. I've worked yeah. hard. Maybe I do belong, but he wasn't going to say that. Yeah. Right. And I think he, um, he had a good understanding of sainthood that kind of, it goes back to the reformation that, uh, we are simultaneously a saint and a sinner. Everyone, mm -hmm. anyone saint, anyone saved, yeah. baptized, sanctified, Anyone who becomes a Christian, however you, you know, the, that uh, they are a, a saint. Yeah. So you and I are saints. Yeah, right, People listening right. um, are saints. Right. Um, but you and I are sinners. And and so he had that, he had that again, paradox. Yeah. I was like, they're weirdly <laughs> not in contradiction. Yeah. Right. Like right. It's both. And so, and he was responsible. And some religious leaders really let it go to their heads. I really don't see Billy Graham. Uh, I mean, he's a fallible human, but I think, he, you know, he... He was on guard the most he reasonably yeah. could be, given the fame that came upon him. 
That's the impressive thing yeah. to me just about his life because I mean he starts out early on and he does these crusades, right? He does right. youth crusades first. And people just start showing up in numbers that were unheard of, you know. I mean right. Amy McPherson had had a lot. He had a lot as well. Right. Um, you know, it was just show up. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. My guard dog is guard dog is guarding, touching us from so. the male person. Um, <laughs> this reminds people that life that we're human. That's right. It's like Billy Graham had to remind people we live real lives. Uh, we live real lives. Yeah. Here. Uh, but I mean, I, I, like <laughs> to me, he wasn't crushed under the weight of his massive success. Right. And that's kind of shocking because to carry like to look into an audience and everyone out there is paying attention to what you have to say. Right. And not let that go to your head. Oh, that's, yeah. that's Olympic. Cause, cause at that point you're of, the anointed prop. You're this, that, yeah. you know, whether you like it or not, you're the, the, the framework is it's set up to it where you're, you're the anointed one. You're the most, what's coming out of you yeah. is the most important thing. And of course there's the, you know, for, for, uh, it, there's Christians that sh- should, you know, we should know as Christians that it, God speaks, is speaking through him and he speaks through, he can speak through a lot of people, but yeah. he ultimately speaks through his word, obviously. Right. Without, and, so, and, and that's why I think Graham said so many valid things because he was intentional about staying uh, uh, to the word rather than um, making up new things, yeah. right? Like the, the enthusiasm. What, what they was classically traditionally always called in Christianity is enthusiasms, enthusiasms. People always kind of charismatic people that would come up with a, kind of their own thing and their new yeah. thing. Yeah. Stamp Christianity on it. Um, new revelation. New revelation. New Graham new, was definitely yeah, not of that fold. So um, he wasn't. And, yeah. and with him, you know, what, what amazes me because now I, I like I said, I, I listened to his autobiography. So it's from his perspective. I, enjoyed it because I feel that I, I feel that I got to know him a lot more. So I mean, I just listened right. to him, you know, tell me about his life for, you know, uh, like eight hours or something like that. Right. Um, it's fascinating stuff, but what blows my mind is that he's able to have these types of friendships and, and, you know, Larry King is like, Hey, we, you know, we're friends. We, we go back. Yeah. He said that he was calling him Billy, you right. know, cause they're buddies and, and he's able to have these friendships with people and from what I understand, from what I know of him, be the same guy around the clock. He could go play golf with presidents, and he wasn't preaching at him the whole time, but he was there for him, and he cared about him as individuals. Right. You did mention there's one thing in your your when you're reading his book, like he would talk about how. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, not to like uh, criticize him, but it is funny. He did talk a lot about those famous encounters. But he did. He would mention the. The Joe, the regular average Joes and Jills, that yeah. Would come, but he didn't really talk too many talk, about those interactions. <laughs> part of me is like, maybe it's like, did his, you know, did his publisher tell him, look, no one cares about Jenny sure. from Wyoming. They Jenny hear, from the diner who yeah, poured your coffee, right? They want to hear about JFK, and they want to hear like because he would in the refrain was kind of funny in the autobiography because he would tell a story about one president. And then be like, and have this little like parenthetical aside, and say, just so you know, um, I talked way more to regular people like you and me than I did rich and famous people. Don't get the impression that I only talked to rich yeah, people. Just and then the next story them. was like, and here's you know me and Nixon yeah. playing golf, you <laughs> yeah. know. So. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I wonder. Yeah, you can only speculate. But yeah, maybe a publisher decision, you know. But I mean, he, uh, to 
But it does. It is amazing that he, the impact he had on because he visited all these world leaders, yeah, religious leaders, Dalai Lama, and he. he there's pictures of him. If you do a Google image search, uh, you could find pictures of him with every president since Truman. Eisenhower. Since Truman, yeah, okay. Since Truman, I didn't even know since Truman. He got. Uh, he he kind of ticked Truman off. <laughs> okay. Then he also kind of tick off Eisenhower. Uh, or did they 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 were they had to warm up to each other? Yeah. Like Eisenhower yeah. came from a very mainline. I'm pretty sure Presbyterian type. Of, yeah, yeah. He wasn't into all this. If uh, I remember correctly, so <laughs> Truman he he was invited to the White House. It was Truman. Yeah. He was invited to the White House. Uh, they gave him 20 minutes. Like, you have a 20-minute window. And he was like, he'd just been doing crusades. He No one knew who he was. Oh, yeah. They just heard that he had gathered a lot of people, and so they wanted him to come in and meet the president. Right. And so he, like, showed up to Washington, D.C., and he uh, had two of his buddies until he brought them to the White House. Hey, could these guys come, too? Like, completely, you know, not supposed to do stuff like that. But they said, yeah, okay, your buddies can right. come in, too. Right. He goes in there at, like, minute 19. In this interview, he asks him, hey, uh, uh, you know, where are you with the Lord? <laughs> At minute 19 of a 20-minute deal. Right. And then prays for him. And they're like five minutes late leaving. And uh, they walk outside. You know, so you know, the president's kind of ticked at that point that they took too much time. Walked outside. The press said, what did the president say? And evidently, like, Billy Graham just told him everything that had happened in the interview. And that kind of ticked off. Uh, well, he was young and green. I yeah, mean, he, he didn't was, know what he was doing. He was getting yeah. used to his, you know. Um, that is funny. And you see that with a lot of famous people. That, that some embarrassing things, or things that not good form things. Yeah. It always happens early on. Yeah. Like, the, you know, happens with any minister, too. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Billy, uh, so he comes out of the revival scene. I want, I'm going to go into his early life and a bit because i know we both read a lot about that but but first like i want to get on this so uh i wanted to mention because he's coming out of the revival and that's where his start is a lot of that was based on uh this type of christian proclamation that i as someone who's part of who's an anglican and who was raised lutheran um for anglican episcopal i use them interchangeably a lot in the show but i'm an episcopal clergyman but I was raised Lutheran. And so I was very unfamiliar with what we would call, especially Lutherans label it this, because they really don't like it, mm. decision theology, mm. where your Christian life um, is based on, really starts at mm-hmm. a moment in time that you are saved or born again, where you make a decision to accept uh, Jesus Christ and to come to faith, that, that moment of decision for every individual uh, sinner. So for me, so again, in, in essence, I get what it's saying. I think, uh, you know, the song Amazing Grace, it speaks the Christian truth, you know. Um, it's certainly in the New Testament times when Jesus and the disciples are going around. John the Baptist says the forerunners, well, they're saying, repent, repent, the kingdom of God is near. There is that aspect of decision, right? In a, in a way, I mean, someone, ha- they go from one thing to another. There is conversion. Yeah. And for me, you know, Anglican, Lutheran, those are traditions where uh, they took the precedence of the of what the church did for many centuries. You're baptized, you're brought into the Christian faith as a baby, right? Because yeah. Jesus says, unless you're born of the water and spirit. And, uh, you know, you might have confirmation later or moments where you affirm your Christian, 
your Christianness, Christian, yeah. that you are a part of the body. Christiosity. You, Christian, yeah. <laughs> you are part of the body of Christ. And Luther even called that those moments where you are returning to your baptism, really. Mm. You, you, you yeah. have those deeper, profound moments in your life where you are definitely, you have a more moments of more profound understanding yeah. of who you are in the body of Christ. But there's not that, uh, there's not that aspect of that moment, right? Yeah. And I've even, I've had these conversations, arguments, I want to say, with some Christians of that ilk. I try to be respectful, but they really try to dig at me and say, well, you can't verify the moment in your life where you really turned it all over to Christ, where you made that decision. Right, right. And for me, it became like a type of, like a verification or like, yeah. uh, it, it, it's a, like a criteria for yeah. being a Christian. Um you know, and, and some of that, some of the, I'll let, yeah, I'll let you speak to that. Cause I was going well, to have so, one more thing, but I'll, I'm going to, I'll get to that later. Yeah, no, a hundred, like that's a hundred percent the way, uh, the way I grew up understanding, you know, what salvation is. Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm like, I that's still kind of the framework that I get because, you know, and I grew up, uh, evangelical. And so I didn't, I wasn't baptized. Like, uh-huh. I was, con- I was, uh, I confirm what's called. Um, I, it was like a blessing ceremony, sure. you know. Is it uh, christening? Yeah, no, yeah. De- dedicated. dedicated. I was dedicated to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, they, they bring you up as a baby, mom and dad, uh, and, you know, the whole church prays over you and agrees to help you, um, to, to, you know, guide you in the way of Christ, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what, that's a community thing. Um, but that was, it's not seen to be uh, salvific in any way. Like, right. it's just, hey, we're going to, you know, we are going to do everything we can as the adults in the room to help guide this little baby person to be sure. a Christian with the point of that, of the baby mm-hmm. making it to the kid, making a decision for Christ. Right. As you say. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you haven't been baptized as an infant, then what are you returning to? Like, is there, is that, is there a decision for people that haven't been baptized? How does that work in a uh, decision or in, in so, uh, it's like, okay. In what you're talking about, if you haven't been baptized, there's no baptism to return sure. to, correct? Then if, you know, you uh, become religious, meet meet Jesus, get involved in the church, mm-hmm. like in your 20s, how, how does your view, like... Well, that would be, yeah, I mean, we... Well, in fact, the in the Episcopal Church, the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the the form we use for baptism in the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the actual... The, the form, if I remember correctly, the form for baptizing an adult actually takes precedence in this over infant. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think the decision for that was, was because there was kind of a snobbery over many centuries of looking down upon or, or the recent century of looking down upon those, those uh, Anabaptists and those Christians that say, you got to be rebaptized. It, it, it was kind of like, Oh, those, those frontier Christians that right. were, you know, but so I, it was kind of like coming to terms with that and recognizing, you know, we have, uh, I could be totally speculating, but kind of that more ecumenical, um, sensitivity. It's like, look, there's people of other Christian traditions that don't get the, uh, infant baptism thing like we do. Yeah. And you know what? We need to recognize adult baptism is a powerful thing too. And yeah. I kind of digress a little bit. Sorry. But so anyways, the, the form, um, is definitely in there as much as it is baptizing a baby. But for that, it depends on where. So let's say someone, an adult comes to faith later in life, mm-hmm. yeah. wants to be baptized. We would start a catechetical process, depending on what church they're at, where they would, um, learn, uh, they, they would meet with, uh, the minister, the priest, pastor, sure. they would meet, or they, they might meet with a group of Christians and with a minister, and uh, it, it can it can be set up in infinitely amount of ways, right? 
but um, kind of, you know, giving them kind of like what we do for confirmation class with older kids. Well, the, going over the, the teachings of the church, what, you know, what being a Christian entails, yeah. what by being by being baptized, you're being brought into the you're being adopted you by Christ. You're being sealed as Christ's yeah. own forever. And so, like, so, so it's kind of like giving them teaching them and walking with them that they um, understand that what that is to be a Christian. And then we do the baptism. So my, so my question, like, so, so then it's not a decision point, it's a baptism point. It's a point at which you're baptized. And from then on you right. are, you're in, you're in the church, you're in Christ and right. you know, uh, okay. Okay. So that, yeah. that, 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 that was, that's my, that was my question. So for your evangelical types, it's, you know, baptism happens after, like it's like you make your decision sure. for Christ. That's the moment where everything is, you know, the angels celebrate in heaven uh-huh. and all that. And then afterwards, you know, it can be months later, yeah, or whatever. Uh, some churches are like, we're going to wait until we feel like you actually are legit before we baptize yeah. you. So there's some of that. Some of them are like, hey, next week we have baptism. Come on, you know. Uh-huh. But then it's baptism as a kind of a sign, and then because that's not sacramental at all, it's just a yeah. sign. So I, and I, it's kind of funny, you know. I have made people mad before by saying that. You know, for uh, evangelicals, like faith is a sacrament. Like, you know, making a decision is the thing that God infuses grace into, and mm-hmm. you, you go on from there. But anyway, um, so that so it's not a decision point; it is a baptism point. So that's right. the point. To say hey, I've entered the church at this point in my life, mm-hmm. as, either as an infant because my parents brought me in, or you know, as an adult because I didn't grow up in faith. So right. okay, right. and I think the 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 defense that like the reformers, Luther and Calvin, came to. Uh, as other groups started, other, you know, splinters of the Reformation came up and started talking about the importance of being conscious, having baptism wrapped up with a conscious decision of someone who's conscious can think for themselves yeah. to make that decision, not a baby. Luther and Calvin tried to emphasize, uh, the reformers, the original reformers tried to emphasize that, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, what we call modernism, that. A sacrament baptisms is completely the power and act of God, and not the, the it's it's not on the back of the believer. Uh, it's it's the power of God, right? And it's not someone's decision. But that said, yes, I mean we. I don't. I'm not a fan of like just opening the font. Of, okay, if you haven't been baptized, come on forward. Right. Ideally, right. there needs to be the uh, catechesis, what we call it. Right. Church. So you know, you should know what you're signing up for. Right. You know what you're <laughs> signing up for. Right. Because uh, you're signing up for something big, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so enough about decisions. Yeah, I mean that, that's kind of my only hang up. Whenever I get into like some of these more again more Baptist or evangelical, I mean it's a different type of language yeah. or the born again world. It's a different type yeah. of language than what I'm used to in the Christian uh, the types of Christian traditions that I was raised in. But um, but it wasn't my hang up with. I think Billy Graham was very much part. He had very much a. He was very much a Reformation Christian at heart still, and I'll get into that a little bit later. He's raised Presbyterian. But so he's raised Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. And Maggie McCall was his, was the name of his grandmother. And she was like this, and, you know, I guess according to, I read the book. Um, it's a really good book about Graham called Billy Graham, the Man I Knew, recently written and published. Greg Laurie is the author, who's, I guess, a big-time minister. He was part of the Billy Graham evangelistic mm-hmm. Association mm-hmm. is that is yeah. society? That's it. Association and 
he the way he framed it, and this might be true. We'll, we'll be corroborating these two books because uh, Stephen, like you mentioned earlier, read Billy's autobiography. But uh, kind of the, the father figures, grandfather figures, weren't really the religious types in the mm-hmm. Graham household. It was actually more the uh, it was more of his family of spiritual matriarchs mm-hmm. that really instilled or uh, implanted the seed in Billy. Yeah. Uh, his grandmother's kind of a, is a spiritual matriarch, um, and his mother is a spiritual um, matriarch as well. Uh, they had him. Uh, his mother especially had him memorize Bible verses. Also had him memorize parts of the Heidelberg Catechism. So yeah. it, Billy Graham was reformed originally. Yeah, he, he yeah. was a Reformation uh, Christian. Not that we're making big, you know, deals about these different kinds of Christian denominations and stuff, but I just thought that was interesting. So he, you know, before he gets into this revival type of, uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, tradition, he's part, he's Presbyterian, but he's growing up on a farm as well. And, uh, I mean, anything that from his autobiography, was there anything from his early years that you really gleaned yeah. that were important? So he talked a lot about his mom and dad. Um, and you know, you're right. Like his mom was more the spiritual one that would read Bible verses and have memorized and, but they were very moral, like people, you know, kind right. of good, like hardworking people, but like honest, you know. Um, and he talked about how there was, you know, there a good a good day's work was a moral good. It right. was it's whatever you're doing if you're working hard, it's it was a good thing. And um, if you're not working hard, you know, it doesn't matter how good the, the little thing you did was, or even right. if you could do a lot by not doing a, not doing a lot. The work itself is is the good, right. um, which was interesting to me. Uh, yeah, just like you know, waking up at two o'clock, like two o'clock in the morning, waking up, go milk cows, like yeah. for hours, like oh my god. And I don't, as a total city slicker, going, I have no idea how to relate to that. No. I know people that had those types of chores. It's yeah. more generational, like some of the yeah. our generation farm, some of them did, but more so yeah. like you know, other older people I knew who grew up on farms. It was like. 18, they were awake for like 18 hours a day. Oh, <laughs> it was just like, I just can't yeah. imagine that world. But that was the, their reality of American life. That's all Especially rural American life. Yeah, that's all they knew. They didn't know anything else. But, <laughs> right. Yeah, so, but he, he talked a lot about that. He talked about his parents. And uh, the thing that I think surprised me most about Billy Graham, kind of as a theme throughout, is I, you know, I didn't know much about him. I thought he was more of the traditionalist. Um, probably legalistic type of person uh, who you know grew up like, kind of hard and right. um, strict, and, yeah, very strict. And he, the way he describes it now, of course, this is all it's all relative to what we can view as strict. But the way he describes his parents is they weren't overly burdensome with rules. They pretty much, you know, he never he said he never had a curfew. Like when he was a teenager, he'd go out and he never was told you got to be back at this time. Like it was just like a hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna honor God in this house. We're gonna do these things, and right. uh, it, it just it just stuck. And um, that kind of like he, these are the values that we hold, but we're gonna you know we're not gonna force you. Into, and he carried that same thing into his his parenting of his kids as well, right. um, which I thought was I thought was pretty cool. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely you see how like. The kind of guy that can travel all over the world and the kind of guy that can view massive fame and massive responsibility as just hard work. Right. You know, just like milking the cows. Like that's that's him. I, I think that was his perspective the whole yeah. time. It's like just get up, do do a good, solid, hard day's work and go to bed. Well, it's definitely humbling. I mean, to have that type of uh, uh, upbringing, I guess, you know, it, well, not I guess I, you know, really it's um and so that I think that 
speculating again, I think that kind of plays a part into um, the, the humility he he that he kind of displayed throughout. Yeah. Um, whenever he, whenever he was interviewed, whenever he, someone spoke to him, um, and so Graham's were Presbyterian. Uh, he's in uh, religion is kind of in, it's his mother kind of takes charge with that, and uh, it, it's funny some of the things he had, Laurie spoke about in his book that um, you know Billy Graham he spoke you know later on he's speaking like we saw in the interview to Dalai Lama he uh, has conversations with he brings in Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. in the late 50s uh, I know we're kind of jumping back and forth in chronology but he brings in MLK Jr. to open up one of his crusades with mm-hmm. prayer he's always reaching out and reaching out yeah and uh, I mean he later be, you know, he Though he was raised Presbyterian, he becomes a revival Christian, gets attached to Southern Baptist. Um, though he's traditionalist, he's also knows that Christ does call us to be one, and he's always reaching out. Yes. He's not letting the dividing lines and markers get in the way of what he sees as true, yeah. true work for Christ. And Glory pointed out in his biography uh, of him how Graham had. Uh, he was talking with Graham and Graham said that when he, he was a child, he locked, he had a cat and a dog that didn't get along. And I can relate cause I've had that issue before and they just get used to each other. But what he did, he had this dog and this cat on the farm that didn't get along and he locked them in a dog house all night. And then from then on, they were best friends. The dog <laughs> and, the cat. And, he, and like, he used that as like a, as an analogy or something, a metaphor, but that, that taught him that stayed with Billy Graham and saying, you know, forcing two people or, you know, to, you know, in, in the same, you know, making them work things out or, or forcing them to be together. Uh, they'll love each other. Yeah. You know, and so, so that was actually they'll like either kill each other kill or, each other each other or other. love each other. And, um, nowhere in the middle. <laughs> nowhere in the middle. Yeah, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, really, I highlighted that cause I bought the, you know, the electronic book. And so I thought that was really cool, but he, he did have that, tendency to be to just to really uh reach out and i mean i think that's kind of why he kind of became a beloved evangelist yeah later on maybe it might be in the next part <laughs> when we get to he had a talk with woody allen where they're having friendly kind of light-hearted jabs at each other more so woody allen's jabs were at him <laughs> graham didn't really jab back you know I mean? but, he's uh, billy graham <laughs> you can't jab uh but he he had just that um an appropriate openness i think to sitting with different people yeah so you know and he didn't take himself he didn't take himself seriously he didn't or too seriously i guess he was the kind of guy that um was willing to find the good thing that was being done Mm -hmm. and be like this is worth it like he didn't i feel like in our we're all wired to be purists you know in our culture and like if you're slightly off of what i think then you're terribly wrong you're probably a horrible person too like the reason you don't agree with me is because you're evil and that's kind of like the the mentality that like twitter and stuff like that uh kind of fosters and billy graham would be like no i really enjoyed my time with the dalai lama uh but i disagree with this you know i disagree on this point right there. you tell you why and that's it like it was just to him it was a disagreement it wasn't it wasn't this is going to end yeah. Our dialogue, discussion, yeah. relationship. Yeah. No, it was just, you know, and I feel like there's so much, you know, I, uh, there's a, a pastor, uh, I watched an uh, interview with him and, uh, uh, was Francis Chan. You heard of him? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. He's, uh, uh, you know, kind of new reformed, uh, guy, um, evangelical type. 
And, you know, he got, he had entered some like hot water because he shared the stage with some more charismatic Pentecostal types that don't, you know, that were thought by, you know, his, his tribe, uh, uh, Chan's tribe. enthusiasts. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, it's called like unsound biblically and possibly like that kind of thing. And so he had to like explain, Hey, look, you know, Mm -hmm. I do a lot of these things and they're talking about Jesus and I'm on board with that. And we did, but we are like, who is, you know, what? We're very pharisaical and stuff like that. You know, why are you sitting down and eating with these people? Don't you think people will think that right. you approve of what they do and say? Right. And it's kind of like, you know, Jesus, why, why are you having dinner with these people? Don't yeah. you think that the people will think you approve of tax collectors and sinners, you know? Right. And he didn't he just like, no, that's not what this is about. I care about the person. I'm not caring about the signaling right. of what other people are going to think about yeah. my encounter because this person is a human person I'm going to talk to. Right. And I think that's Billy Graham's attitude. And I think, and, and Graham also, and I think uh, there's also the point where, you know, uh, you do have to, uh, you may have to cut out toxic yes. relationships or toxic yeah. people. And I think people are trying um, to use you. Right. I mean, Jesus says, uh, you know, if you're not received, shake your dust shake off your sandals off, right. and go to the next place. And I think Graham had a sense of that too, uh, as much as he was about that togetherness mm-hmm. type, because he's, um, he's very on guard, um, about, and we talked in our Amy McPherson episode, and this isn't picking on her, but just how a lot of evangelists, those big personalities, those big time leaders with the spotlight would, you know, would let it go to their head or, mm-hmm. or would get involved with scandals. Getting, Billy Graham, from what you've read, he was very, um, not strict, cause I hate that word, but just very firm about these are things we're not going to do. He had solid say, boundaries. Right? Solid boundaries yeah. we're not going to get involved with. Yeah. He did that with his team, right? Yeah. That he later started up. Yeah. So. And, uh, and but the people that were with him pretty much, you know, the, the high levels of his organization, they were there from the very beginning. Like mm-hmm. these are his friends and people that joined up with him, you know, when he first started doing crusades and they just, they carried through, uh, you know, and, and some of them are still involved now. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's insane to think about that, but yeah, I mean, he had, he just had buy-in and I think his people trusted him, trusted that, you know, any kind of, you know, law we lay down so to speak is is for a really good reason and not right. because we're just trying to you know whatever right um but he, he cared a lot about us like he had he tells a story in the uh and this is out completely you know chronologically out of place but about uh hillary clinton wanting to uh meet with him and have have a lunch when i think bill was governor of arkansas or something like that and he was like listen i don't, I don't have uh he said he told her i don't have uh Private lunches with beautiful ladies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because that could, yeah. You if, never if you're know a lady you ever had lunch privately with with Billy Graham, I apologize. You're not beautiful. That's that's the story. There. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, but no, he had these rules, and you know, people have criticized that in you know recently. But he also didn't have any of those kind of scandals. So right. Um, I think we need to be understanding, and I, I don't think it came from like ah, oh, women are, are gross or whatever. I think it came from I'm a man. Right. And, and you, like understanding, I'm a man. I'm just, just because yeah. I'm saintly Billy Graham. Yeah, you know. So he he and to be honest with yourself and to know your heart, you yeah. know that. I mean, a lot of people really try to spread. They think they're above that type of thing. Yeah, and you're in a good spot if you know you're not above. That yeah, type of thing, that's exactly know? right. And uh, you know, so uh, and it's so it's interesting, kind of like how you were saying. You know, you before you really dived into learning about him and his story that you would have kind of pegged him for a legalist mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's funny how Graham has kind of a, 
in his early years, this is the 30s, where he's uh, is, is the formative time in his life, the time he comes to faith. Uh, he, he comes to faith through the revival movements, but he's very skeptical of those at first. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and I think he stayed, he, he was like, um, he, he was rightfully skeptical about mm-hmm. some of those revival leaders. Um, Dr. Mordecai Fowler Ham, mm-hmm. for instance, the guy that brought him to faith genuinely brought Billy Graham to faith. Ham himself was wrapped up in tons of controversy. Um, uh, if anyone wants to wiki him, we're not here to, to denigrate any people on the show, right. but he was wrapped up with some pretty pronounced anti-Semitic mm. views as time went on and some anti-Catholic yeah. views too. Um, of course, the first half of the 20th century, he had a lot of that. Yeah. And a lot of, it was a temptation for any uh, Christian personality, but um, but he get by. Anyways, um, Graham comes to the church through him and he was kind of skeptical of not only him but just these types of leaders because um he was smart graham was a smart guy um he uh and i think that skepticism kind of later it, it kind of stayed with graham because because there yeah. is such thing as a healthy skepticism yes right? yes and you notice how graham was never and like you said earlier he was never trying to reinvent the wheel yeah he was never trying to uh refashion uh, the basic precepts that he uh, was handed on to him into yeah. something to, to sell or to be fuzzy and warm. He was that type of healthy skepticism about like, you know, you know, cause he saw, he, he looked at the unseen hope, not, yeah. the, not the, the, yeah. the flash in front of you. That's supposed to be glittery and glammy, and right. like, you know, and I, I, for me, I'm, again, I'm maybe just reading into this, but I think that kind of skepticism he had of the, those revival evangelists, which he became a part of, yeah. which brought him, as he says to the, you know, his race Presbyterian, he says he was generally brought to faith through that. Um, he had a healthy skepticism of that, which I think he kind of carried throughout that he could apply for many things mm-hmm. in this world and in this life. Yeah. And I think we all need to have that as Christians it, to some extent. Absolutely. I mean, he talked about that, like he, this surprised me when I read the, the autobiography that, because uh, he was part of uh Bob Jones University when yes. it first started when, when Bob Jones was like running it. Right. And he left Bob Jones University because uh, there was a very, you know, uh, the culture of anti-intellectualism and don't ask questions and believe what we say. This is what this is, you know, what, I, what Bob Jones says is the truth. And you're not allowed that you get in trouble for questioning those things. Right. And he was like, that's not what education is. Education is asking good questions and, and exploring and learning and all that. Now, that surprised me because I thought I, I pegged him for a... A Bob Jones type. Yeah, maybe. a very simple, this is the way it is, my way or the highway, don't, you know, don't ask questions. And that wasn't him. He was a curious guy. Right. But he also, he he believed the core tenet of the message and he didn't get, whatever his personal views of theology were, he did not let, you know, his, I feel like his intellectual life and his exploration in that way uh Tank the message, right? Yeah. He didn't get excited about some some idea he had and new mm-hmm. theory and and spread that all over the world. He was like, well, I'm going to stick with this main thing right, right. here. Um, that and, delicate balance, because yeah. I mean, so as as someone who's has a, a traditionalist stance like Billy Graham had on so many things, yeah. to not veer off into legalism, yeah, uh, to have a balance. I mean, it's it can be done. Yeah, I think he showed what it was like to do that, and I think. So in our, you know, just contrasting, not because it's fashionable to do, contrast our culture to their culture, but I feel like Billy Graham got this massive platform and he got 
personal relationships with some really influential people, you know, presidents, media personalities, uh, world leaders from around the world, all of that. Um, and I, 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 my impression is he got it because he was genuinely, he wanted to be their friend. Right. He wanted to be their friend. He wanted to be their pastor. He wanted to be there for them as individuals. He talks a lot about that. He didn't talk about it, but he expresses that view in talking about different presidents and things like that. Um, he just wanted to be there. And, and if they needed a pastor, it was kind of like being a fireman, kind of like being a doctor, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's They need a pastor. So right. I'm going to be there. And if they open up to me about whatever, I'm going to counsel them the way I think God will want me to counsel them about their personal life. But he wasn't, from my impression, was, but he wasn't interested in steering politics. Right. He wasn't interested in having that kind of influence. He wanted to hear about so-and-so and how their kids are, you know, having trouble with their kids right. and help them through that just like anybody. And it was that personal relationship. Now, if you want to become famous, you have to have a new and exciting take on something. You got to have a hot take, right? You got to have right. something that the, the, the subject of what you're talking about has got to be the interesting thing. Right. I think for Billy Graham, what got him into these places was that he actually just cared about the people. And right. yes, he was, he was providentially given access to them to show that he cared about right. them. But that's why they kept inviting him back and he would go play golf or go on the lake with different people. And like, that's why he kept getting these invitations right. was because they could tell he genuinely cared. And I know some of them were trying to use him. Some of them, like he was, he talks about that wanting, ask him to endorse or come out on the campaign trail and pray over this, you know, that kind of slide. He was careful about that. He was careful about, he, he would not, come out and publicly endorse anybody. And he was very careful about the, he knew that if I show up on the campaign trail, it will be taken as a endorsement, endorsement yeah. of this candidate. Right. And so he didn't do any of that. He would show up and help after uh, they'd been elected, president elect. Okay, we'll go out. I'll pray over your thing. Right. But he was not about that, uh, which I think is, is, is not where the evangelical church is right now in America. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen some, and I've seen this on, Evangelical mainline, they'll, they'll invite a uh, someone, very high profile person mm-hmm. from a particular political party, maybe even a candidate. Or mm-hmm. and I've seen this as on instance in a mainline denomination church mm-hmm. where they brought someone in from one party. I saw this in an evangelical church. I'm not going to name names or name the places, but they bring in these people uh, to give a guest message during like the Sunday worship. And that's, again, we went into that whole two kingdoms, church and state thing. I mean, uh, there's this, uh, theology and ecclesiology. There's so many problems just littered with that. Um, so anyways, um, and and you mentioned about fame and how everyone wants to make a splash. And I think and we all, I mean, we're all guilty of that. I I like to make a splash sometimes if I can, there's always that temptation. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's born out of insecurity, inadequacy. Our world sends us this messaging all the time that we're not good enough. Yeah. And we want to be good enough. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think um, that's just, it's just how it, because we, we as people are like that. Yeah. We, um, we, we, we feel inadequate, but we want to be better all the yeah. time and all the time. Yeah. I think that drives ambition. I think that drives fame. Obviously, Graham came into fame and, I can't help but relate that back to when he comes to faith, when he's saved, when he's born again, <laughs> whatever terminology. Right, right, right. I'm not a big fan of that terminology, but that's, but that said, when he I sees think those are genuine, I, I believe yeah. people, those are genuine experiences. I'm not here to say that people use that language of being born again, right. being saved. 
uh, I believe that those are genuine moments where they came to faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not something I knew, but anyways, Graham, um, when he came to faith, when he was, when his conversion, um, Lori talks about in his book, how Graham says after his conversion, he was less envious, less irritable and not oversensitive. Mm-hmm. When before his life in faith, he felt he he would get envious of things or people. Mm-hmm. He would be irritable about things or people. He would be oversensitive. Now, as a Christian, and I'm sure you have, I have all three of those things. Right. But I remember when I started to get, I'm not going to get totally autobiographical here because we're running out of time. But when I, when I really started to start to mature and grow in my faith, this was a period in my early 20s. Um, after kind of drifting out of the church for a few years mm-hmm. uh, in my late teens, I, when I started to become part of the community of faith again, when I started to become an active part of the body of Christ mm-hmm. and started to grow in my faith, I realized that things that I used to be envious about before, I was envious about it. things that used to irritate me, things that, I mean, it, it was all, it'd be ridiculous. Like things that I would, um, uh, well, I was going to say like certain things that um, I felt like I had to do or say to impress people. I wouldn't worry yeah. about anymore. Yeah. I didn't care. Um, uh, like, you know, if this is, <laughs> so I was on like, uh, I was on Facebook today and I'm in like, I'm in this jazz group on Facebook and nice. someone like someone put up a picture on uh, this jazz group of, of uh, Kenny G and all these like people were like ragging on this picture. Like, Kenny G, you're not a real jazz fan. You like Kenny G, he doesn't belong in this group. And I commented, I'm not, this is a private group. I wasn't being nasty. I just said, so we can lighten up here. Kennedy's a good musician. Yeah. But it's just that type of attitude. Like, I don't need yeah. to be a, um, uh, you know, I don't, who am I to be a snob about? Anything? Right. You know, who am I to, is funny. I, it's fun, <laughs> right? But, uh, no, I, I agree. Though, but, I know that's such a silly example, but like that, that outlook I have, yeah. that I identify as a Christian thing has bled into all yeah. these trivial things in my life. Yeah. Like, you know, um, I, you know, I'm not ashamed of, of, I don't have to feel shame or inadequacy about this lots yeah. of things because I have a security. It's not my own. It's given, you know, it's, yeah. It's, well, and, and if you look at, so look at, at, at Billy Graham, that's what we're here. We're here to talk yeah. About. We're, you were talking no, about no, Kenny, no, not Kenny but, G. No, 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 no. We'll do Kenny G next time. We'll, we'll do Kenny, Kenny G. G the spiritual life of Kenny G. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, but like Billy Graham, like, you know, if you if you come to a place where you believe that you're doing what God wants you to do mm-hmm. in your life is what you got, what God wants it to be, what are how do you be envious, right? right. You know what I mean? How, how could you do that? Like if you think I am at I'm where I need to be, doing what I need to be doing, and I have the people around me I need to have around me. Right. What else is there to be envious of? Right? right. The envy comes from I could have more. Mm-hmm. I should have. More. Right. And that guy, I should have what that guy, that that's coming. You know what I mean? Like that's where that comes from. If you are at peace with the fact, with the idea that you're doing what God wants you to do, you're where God wants you to be that then you're good. That's it. Like, and and it's when we lose sight of, you know, we lose sight of that kind of thing of, Hey, you know, God's put me where I'm at. Right. And I think that that's, that's some of the danger with, um, or how, danger made it the wrong word. Like with more free will, like emphasizing theologies, right. where you feel like because I could do, you know, God's not uh, marionette, you know, controlling the whole world. 
then I could be in a better place and I could be doing right. something better and I could have more and I could whatever, have more influence, even a good stuff. Like I, I, could, I could have more impact or whatever. I don't think that Billy Graham had that mentality. I think he, he viewed, I think if he had wound up preaching to 2,500 people on the regular his entire life, I think he would have had the same outlook. Yeah. Not that these experiences didn't change him, and but that I feel like he was just showing up you know, 2 o'clock in the morning right. to milk the cows every day. And just whatever cows God brought in, whatever opportunity. Now, right. not, not to say he didn't he didn't try stuff. He did try yeah. stuff. He did grow. He did. But my point is, I think his mentality was that of I'm just here to serve yeah. God, and whatever God gives me to do, if He gives me a cool idea. Why don't we get on the radio? Why don't we get right. on TV? Why don't we make movies? Like he made movies. I, I didn't know that before this, but like right. when God, you know, he just showed up to do what God wanted him to do, and that was that was his impression. And you right. can go, oh, how did he know what God wanted to do? Whatever. My point is his sense that he was doing what God wanted him to do, and he was where God wanted him to be, gave him that ability not to envy what other people had right. or a different life. And I think um, a lot of that, like he wasn't a, a total fatalist, right? He no. Wasn't, he wasn't like, no. oh, whatever happens, happens. It's hard, to be, an, it's hard to be an evangelist when you're a fatalist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and so we're not saying that at all. No. We're, we're, what no. we're saying is like, for those people that, that like, have those regrets or I could have done this. Or I could have done this yeah. big thing. Or I would have done yeah. this big. There, there may be confusing. Maybe they're right. Maybe God did have plans that for them that they turned away. Who knows? Yeah. But most of the time I think is that they're confusing their ambitions or their visions of maybe their self glory yeah. with how God wants to use them to glorify. Yeah. Him. I think about like, I never thought I would be, you know, uh, doing the great ministry I did in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. Coming from Michigan, yeah, um, and now going uh, to to be a Christian educator, Christian teacher at high school, which is something that's so like um, I, I felt so like it's so like oh that's yeah that's who I am I'm yeah. so called for this, but like I never would have tried for that. God yeah like brought me. In. It was kind of like you yeah, wouldn't have known to try. For I would have wouldn't like, have known like the opportunity God, had to present God brings itself. us yeah. in our lives to these. We arrive at these things yeah. that we had no you know idea yeah um you know i never preached to even 2500 people i don't know <laughs> that hey, sounds like a lot yeah, of people that's a lot of that people. would have been small for billy Graham. that's hilarious <laughs> like, if he only preached to 2500 people it's just like yeah how right. many of us can say that so um we're getting close to time and we're probably um this is originally gonna be a two-part it might have to be three-part we'll see we, we could yeah. but we could probably fit a lot into our next episode there are some things yeah. i was going to get to um that uh I didn't get to, and uh, but I think for kind of on the last note that we were that we were on, um, there reminded me of a prayer by uh, Phillips Brooks. It wasn't a prayer; it was a quote um, by Phillips Brooks, who um, I guess his life would have overlapped Billy Graham's at some point. Um, he was uh, an Episcopal bishop in the late twentieth sorry, late 19th, early 20th centuries. And um, he he's had this beautiful quote I read a few, week, a few months ago about uh, the perfect prayer, um, which sounds intimidating. Don't worry, we, we're not, we don't have to strive for the perfect prayer. God hears our thoughts right, and right. our groans even. Yeah. But, he, he, but he, he wrote this thing called the perfect prayer that, and that Jesus embodied it. And that through this prayer, um, Jesus... Uh, is it's his prayer in Gethsemane, where Jesus is mindful of 
uh, his his human desire to let the cup pass from him that he doesn't have to go through the torturing and suffering the next day, um, you know, because this is the evening before he goes to be crucified. Like any of us would be, knowing that this has to happen the next day, we would be, I can't imagine. But he has a human desire and that, you know, human will, you could say. But he's also mindful of God's will, his Father in heaven, and what his Father's will is. And he really, and this is what Phillips Brooks says. He says, um, every true prayer has its background and its foreground. The foreground of prayer is the intense, immediate desire. For a certain blessing which seems to be absolutely necessary for the soul to have. The background of prayer is the quiet, earnest desire that the will of God, whatever it may be, should be done. What a picture is the perfect prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. In front burns the strong desire to escape death and to live. But there stands, calm and strong, the craving of the whole life for the doing of the will of God. Leave out the foreground. Let there be no expression of the will of him who prays, and there is left a pure submission, which is almost fatalism. Mm. Leave out the background. Let there be no acceptance of the will of God, and the prayer is only an expression of self-will, petulant claiming of the uncorrected choice of him who prays. Only when the two are, are there together, the special desire resting on the universal submission, the universal submission opening into the special desire is the picture perfect and the prayer mm. complete phyllis brooks and um, oh my that's awesome it is an awesome quote i've yeah. used it in sermons it reminded me though what it's it's message there reminded me kind of just the posture of of kind of graham's lifelong mm-hmm. posture and not just graham uh the the christians who we remember and the the saints and sinners of the past um who have really made an impact on the world right. for the good news, for the gospel. That's really been um, that like, you know, knowing that we may have the special desires on our heart, but there's a universal will and a universal submission right. that we can beautifully become a part of. So, right. mm. Yeah, man. Any uh, last thoughts before we <laughs> close out? Well, yeah, no, uh, I think, I think that's, that's exactly right. I think there is a, uh, if we're going to, to let Billy Graham's story, um, impact us in any way, I think a high value way that it could impact us is to be the kind of people that wake up, you know, in the morning and, and kind of open our day with it. God, you know, what do you want me to do today? Give me opportunities. Right. And in some small way, I think if you do that, he'll do that. He'll give right. us those opportunities, those little things we can do. Um, I think that's Billy Graham's total, his mentality and his, right. uh, what, what drove him through his whole life. Yeah. The ministry. Well, thank you, Stephen. Uh, awesome time again. Awesome conversation. Absolutely. Awesome having you on the podcast. Uh, and we will return. I mean, our next episode, um, will will be with, uh, uh, Michael B. Metz, who is a, going to be talking about the, Quests for the historical uh, Jesus and his uh, the history of that, and so he's from University of Aberdeen, and we're gonna, we're excited to have him. He'll be on in a few weeks, but we're going to have Stephen back um, frequently, and um, so we'll be doing, I guess, the second of two parts. It might turn into a trilogy. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, I enjoyed. Uh, I'm going to put in the show notes for our listeners those books, yeah. quotes, resources, all those things we've been pulling from. Be there for you to access, to look at, 
and to read and digest. So God bless everyone. And we will see y'all, uh, at the next episode. Take care. Hi, and thank you for listening. This is Reverend Andrew Christensen again. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and don't forget to check out our previous episodes of Doth Protest Too Much. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or another streaming service that lets you rate and review our show, please do so. Five stars, one star, however you honestly feel we can take it and would love and appreciate your feedback. Also, for any further questions or suggestions for our show, please email me at dothprotesttoomuchpodcast at gmail.com. God bless your day.